0: Go ahead and grab a seat my friends. Thank you worship team. I said briefly last week, "Hey, if you're a musician or a singer and we just don't know it because you're new, let us know because we've been as you know, we've had a couple of people move and we've been trying to reshape our worship team. We lost both a, our regular drummer and our regular guitarist in the past year, so other people have stepped up, but maybe you have some skill we don't know about." And Every Friday and Saturday night you're playing in clubs in Seattle and maybe you should be playing here on Sunday morning. Let me know because we want you. I want you to come and be a part. You guys doing all right today? We're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments and uh, the beauty of the Ten Commandments and the fact that so many of us believe that it's just this list, that God's angry. And the reality is he created these so that we would learn how to live in community with God and how to live in community with one another. And so I've mentioned before, but the first part was about community with God. The second half is about community with one another. And today we're on thou shalt not steal. So people are like, well, yeah, I don't take things, so I'm okay there. I'm going to talk to you about how it's really about more than just what we take, but it's about learning to trust God is really what that commandment's about. Um, Anybody in here ever take a college ethics class, ethics in college, or business ethics, anything like that? Okay, about a third of you. There's this hypothetical question that is often asked, and that's is it wrong to steal bread if your family's starving? And when I, you hear that, it's like, oh, well, there's this side and there's that side, and there's these two different sides to that question. And I just come back to this. It's the wrong question. Because if we're not really going to investigate, you're never going to really make the right decision because question is why are they starving why is their family starving and are they in community and if they're in community how do those around them not know that they're starving how do those around them not step up how do we stop people from getting to that point of desperation there's so many questions we need to ask but when you do that in the ethics class they just get mad at you they just want you to give a yes or no answer but the truth is so many questions in our lives are not yes or no questions but we try to make them do i steal no good i'm done So I didn't take anything when I was at Fred Meyer this week. However, about two months ago, I stole a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't my fault. Let me tell you. (laughs) So we're there, and it's Christmas time, and I'm doing the shop with a cop. That's right, I stole when I was with shop with a cop. And we have these carts full of stuff. I, I mean, when I say carts full, we buy presents for these kids, but we also let them buy presents for all the members of their family. And most of the families who are recommended have multiple children. So like one kid might be buying seven presents for his family. So we've got a cart loaded with stuff. And so we're pushing them through, and they're ringing stuff up. And of course, if you know me at all, I don't care what's really going on. I only care about talking with the people around me. So I'm talking with the kids, talking with the other cops, talking with the cashier. I get all the way through. We get all the way done. We do everything. And I realize, but not for about five hours do I realize, I had two carts. And we're talking, and she was, like, ringing up, like, scanning the big items. But I had a cart full of big items, but I'm talking to her. And because there's 20 carts in a row full, I realized, I don't think she rang up my entire cart of our high-dollar, bigger, or not necessarily high-dollar, but large items. I have found the perfect way to scam the system. No, um, So naturally, I go to the, oh, boy. So now I have to go back through. when I, You know how... You know, they give you the long receipt anyway. Now imagine you just spent $8,000 and how long your receipt is. So I'm going through this at the police station, and I, when I say it's almost the length of the conference table, it's literally a six foot long receipt. And I'm going through, going, okay, I'm looking for like items that I know we purchased and I'm from, and I get there and I'm like, nope, I stole an entire cart full of stuff while with the police at a charity event. And I'm their pastor. I figure out what it costs. I go in. By the way, management, does not like when you come in and tell them you've stolen a cart full of stuff. We figure it all out, and they were very gracious, and they said, you know, it was a charity event. We can't really figure it out. Let's just call it even. Yes. Scored. Now, really, they were very gracious and said, Things like that happen, especially when there's that many people and you're trying to do that. So I stole a cart full of stuff. So I'm not guiltless, and yet it was an accident. And so then I go into the hypothetical question. If you steal a cart full of stuff while dressed as a police officer working with the police at a charity event, is it okay? Still the wrong question. When I was in high school, I saw this, uh, this survey. I did speech uh, competitions and my, I would do the 30, you have 30 minutes to prepare a four-minute speech is one of the events I did. And um, it was the one, I was working on a different topic, but I read this quote and it has stuck with me, or this statistic, and for some reason it stuck with me forever. And that is the number one reason people are in prison when they give what happened. The number one reason they give is greed. 87% of all people that are in prison are there because of greed. Now, it's when you boil it down to, why did you do this? It's because they want something, and they want it now. Oftentimes, there was drugs involved, there was this involved, there was that involved. But when it really came down to it, they wanted something, and they wanted it now. They wanted an immediate need to be met, which comes down to greed. So, there's several questions I asked when I was thinking about Why don't we steal? So first off, why should I not steal? What does this do to community? What is the opposite, the thing that God wants us to do? Because I said, much of the Ten Commandments, the way they're written, we can look and say, what is it that God's really wanting us to do? And um, when it comes down to it, how do I, in my life, live that out? So if greed is the reason that we commit so much crime, that we commit so many sins greed, laziness, but it's also this immediate need, this desire for something, some need that's right here, right now, to be covered. Whether it's to cover the pain of what I'm feeling, whether it's to absorb and adapt and get sucked into, whatever it is, I have an immediate need. Most people who have struggled with addiction, whatever that addiction is, no matter how long, when they've struggled with addiction, it's because they are in pain of some type, and they're trying to cover that pain up. And there's a lot of reasons that that pain is created. We live in a broken world. Our society's broken. Relationships didn't go right. All these other things. We want to not feel that pain, so we find something to bury that. So much of what we do in life is about getting rid of that pain, and yet C.S. Lewis put it this way. Pain is the megaphone that God uses to speak to a dying world. So if pain is that thing that God can speak into our lives, and we are constantly burying it, hiding it, and getting rid of it, then what place do we leave for God to actually speak to us? And I've said many times, you can fill your life with good things, but they're still not necessarily the right things. They're not bad things. Fill your life with, you know, your hobbies. You can fill your life with things that distract you, but it doesn't actually deal with the pain that I'm feeling, the emptiness that I have. So why shouldn't I steal? Number one, creates distrust. We were created to learn to trust in God, and from the very beginning, we broke that trust, and stealing continues that. Because how do you trust a person who's stolen from you? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think for a minute. Have you ever had a family member steal from you, and what a violation that feels like? I think sometimes that's worse than the stranger just taking, breaking in and taking something. When a family member does it, Because there's a violation of trust. I don't trust other people. I trust my family. I trust the people I'm in community with. Second thing is, it causes people to build barriers to relationship. If I know that this person is going to steal from me, I can't let them into my life. We begin to put up rules and walls, and you can't let that person just be in your life. If people believe you're a thief, they don't want you around. And it comes down to, do I trust God to provide for what I need? So much of this is, it comes down to, do I trust God? This text was written specifically to the community. If I'm stealing from the people on my left and my right, it's showing that I don't, I can't be in community, and I don't trust God. So what is ultimately what is the opposite? How do I move forward understanding what is God wanting me to understand? And that is this. I have to learn to trust God for everything in my life. I have to learn to trust God to provide for what I want, what I need, and what I have. And if I'm going to learn to trust God for that, that requires faith on my part. That pushes me. That stretches me. That changes the way I live, the way I perceive things, and the way I interact with others. Because if I'm really trusting God for the things I have, and it's not about how much can I get, how much can I take, how much can I hoard, but it's really about trusting God that he's going to be there, then that takes away my need to get things unlawfully, illegally, immorally, unethically, and violating our community. Because if I trust God, then I can have an open hand, and I can freely give everything and trust but I'm still going to have stuff for tomorrow. I don't know if you've ever known anyone that was a hoarder. If my dad didn't have my mom, I think he would become a hoarder. <laughs> Let me explain. He does not keep old pizza boxes and used french fry packages. However, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of believability if he did, if he found something, if he could like hold nails and screws in his old french fry things, he would. My dad does not get rid of anything. Put it in perspective. We were cleaning out some closets. My dad has an office and a library because he has that much stuff, and we were cleaning out some closets about two, three years ago, out of his uh, office, and then we're emptying boxes, and we find this old, like one of those little scan cards, like you might use at a hotel. It's got a little magnetic strip on the back, and we said, "Dad, why, why do you have this in your thing?" And he said, "Oh." That's from when I worked at the bank. It gets me on the tarmac at the Burbank Airport. I said, Dad, you haven't worked at the bank since 1968. And he said, look at the back. And I look at the back. I go, what? He goes, it says right on it, do not throw away. It did, in really small type at the bottom. Why don't we mail it back to the Burbank Airport? And let them keep it. They may have updated their system since 1968. I don't know. But I know that in 1968, he literally would scan that, drive on the tarmac, meet the plane, and they would hand him bags of checks and receipts from their outlying branches. That's right. No armored car, no security code other than he's got a scan to get him on the tarmac. And they would give him these bags full of receipts and checks. Hoarding, oftentimes, it relates to a fear of not having something. If you meet people that lived through the Great Depression, my grandparents, my grandparents, there were two of them, they had five deep freezers, when like the giant chest freezers, they had five of them, filled. And I mean filled when my grandpa died in 1987. We couldn't get rid of them then, but in 1990 they had a house fire that pretty much gutted the house, and so... We started getting rid of stuff. And while Grandma wasn't there, they had a a whole second house. And while Grandma wasn't there, we went out and we started getting rid of stuff out of that one. And I was finding blueberries, 1964, and it was one giant thing frozen together. Meat, 1971. Couldn't tell it was meat anymore if it didn't say what it was. Because they'd lived through the Great Depression, and they knew that someday they might not have things anymore. My grandfather had coffee cans and coffee cans and coffee cans full of nails and screws and bolts and nuts. All rusty and you wouldn't know what was what. Because he was afraid. When people in our lives steal or we're afraid they will, we begin to hoard because we have to have more. It really is a lack of trust in who God is and what he has for our life because God looks and he has the best for us. He wants the best for us. But too often times, we are trying to do it ourselves. And when we do it ourselves, it really goes to this place where I can't let something go because then I might not have it later. God's commandment on not stealing isn't because, well, it's an ethical thing because our ethical and moral principles are based on what we understand in Scripture. God's command on not stealing is this. Learn to trust me. Learn to trust me. I've said many times, I don't expect you to trust me. You don't even know me. I've been here five years. You've heard some of my stories, but you don't know me. And I don't know you. I want to get to know you. Let's get to know each other. Let's have coffee sometime. Because that's how we begin to understand and relate to one another in a way that makes us feel safe to be vulnerable. But at the same time, can we learn to trust God? Because sometimes even when we trust God, bad things happen. Here's a couple of things that uh, we can learn from Scripture. First is Psalm 23.1. says, The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack Nothing. That's not how we live our lives most of the time. Most of the time, we live our lives with "I got to get a little more," just to get ahead. I told you before, I'm not against you having nice things. I want you to have a boat, and then I want you to invite me out on your boat, so that I don't actually have to own my own boat. Let's just be honest. I do. I want you to have the best things in life because this life is temporal. But I don't want those things to become more important than our relationships. I don't want those things to be what our quest is. Because if our quest is just to get the most things, then we're missing out. If we miss out on the opportunity to love people, to serve people, to to grow in community with people, to spend time building and knowing and getting together, then we've missed the very purpose and the very point of what we say we believe, which is we cannot know God outside of community, so I have to do things that build community. And when I do things that tear down community, when my life is about getting more and not about building up and connecting... When that becomes my life, then I've actually become the opposite of what God created me to be. And that's where my struggle with the whole prosperity mindset and prosperity gospel is. is If I'm a good follower of God, he's going to give me stuff. Why? What do you need that stuff for? It's all temporary. And our quest has to be, how can I know you more? How can I love you more? How can I serve you more? Because then, in light of those things, I'm suddenly understanding who God is and what he created me to be. The reason we don't steal is because God wants us to learn to trust him and to learn to build community. It's about building community. And too often times we look at it as, well, I did my responsibility. I I served at Transform Burien once this year. I did this once and I did that. And so we start making a checklist instead of saying, how can I give more of who I am to be more of who he created me to be? Because at the end of the day, my actions, my works are meaningless outside of my faith. But if I have a living faith, then I'm compelled to give and to do. So it's not an earning of my salvation. Grace is free. But if I've been covered by that, how do I not want to go and give and love and serve? And that's my my passion in my life is to be All that God created me to be. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. If I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, I have to trust that he's going to meet my needs. That he's going to meet my needs. That it's not about me. It doesn't mean I'm lazy. It doesn't mean I don't work. It doesn't mean I don't have to take care of things. But it means I don't have to do it in my own strength and my own power. And I can learn that he's going to be there. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is Hebrews 11. I've talked about this before because it's this great chapter of faith. And these, these stories of these people in the Old Testament and how great everything worked out for them. And people like to stop right at about verse 34. Because verse 35 starts talking about all the people that had great faith and everything didn't work out for them. And that's where I come in, because that's sometimes my life. There were others, this is chapter 11, starting in the middle of verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. That's not like a fashion choice. It's the, that's all they had. Destitute persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They did not lack faith. That's not why they were executed. They lived out their faith, and the world killed them, persecuted them, chased them. There's no prosperity in that. There's torture. Most of us will never have to suffer for our faith like that. But are we willing to trust God no matter our circumstances? Because it's easy to say, oh, I'd do anything. To me, it'd be easy to die for my faith be much harder to live for my faith every day without compromise. Death would come relatively quickly. But standing up for what I truly believe in every day, that's really hard. Allowing the word to change the way I view people, people that are different than me, people that don't have my same values and beliefs, What if they're not the same color, same race, same whatever it is that I feel safe around? Is my faith real enough to walk that out and to live that in spite of what's happening? Because it's easy to go, oh man, Abraham, what a great man of faith because everything worked out. Daniel, oh, he's a hero of the faith because everything worked out. But nobody even knows these people's names. They were people of faith. And they died. God wants us to be real and in community because He wants us to learn to trust Him. He wants us to learn to trust Him. And trusting Him inside community may mean waiting for something we want, it may mean we don't get our way, it may mean that things are hard and difficult and relationships are painful. I hear all the time stories of how the church has failed people and I never doubt it. I go, yep, we failed people because we're a bunch of broken people that can't get it figured out. And why people leave the church because they get upset over something that a pastor said or something that somebody else said or something that somebody else did. But they take no responsibility for themselves in having those tough conversations. People leave the church because they get bored. I understand that. I'm bored a lot. My mind's always going. And yet at the same time, what about being rooted in this community of faith that challenges me, that makes me think, that asks me questions? And am I willing to... Do the hard work to get into the relationships that it takes, which are going to be messy and people are going to mess up and people are going to fail me and let me down. But am I willing to do all that for the sake of knowing God better? Because it's so hard. So, choosing not to steal is great. Choosing to trust God for what I need is life-changing. Choosing not to take something from somebody else, that's kind and the right thing to do. But choosing to really say, you know what, God, I need you working in my life every day, and I'm going to trust you to meet me where I'm at. God's indictment isn't against stealing because he's so worried there won't be enough of something. God's indictment against stealing is because he desires for you to put your trust in him. Not because there might be a punishment that you face, but because he wants you to walk holy and freely and knowing that he has something more for you. God has so much more for you, and yet, so oftentimes, we look at this list and say, well, it's just not right, so we won't do it. And it's so easy to look at the list and go, well, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. Well, I sometimes do that, but God will forgive me, and then just go on. What if we look at this as his love for you is so incredibly deep and so unwavering that he wants nothing but the best for you because he wants you in relationship and community What if that is the perspective that we look at this list of the Ten Commandments with? He looks at you and says, I have something more for you. Follow these simple guidelines, and my relationship with you and your relationship with one another is going to be a much more fulfilling thing. You're going to find peace, and you're going to find connection, and you're going to find community that we're all so desperately seeking. We look at it like that, and it changes our whole perspective on God's just book. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, it isn't. It's a bunch of, here's some guidelines so that we can learn how to function and live and love together. Father God, I thank you for the fact that you do give us guidelines, that you give us these, this path to live in community with one another and to live in community with you. May that become real in our life. May it be how I live things out, how I show and how I show that I love you and show that I need you and show that I desire to be in relationship with you. God, over the next couple of weeks as we finish this up, let it become not just something I know, but something that I am. Let it not just be a head thing, but Father God, Let it permeate deep within my soul so that I become more of who you created me to be. In your name, amen. Um, Tracy, would you go get the middle school kids because there's a couple of them in there that are going to join us. In just a minute, I'm going to have the the team that's going to Mexico come on up and we're going to pray for them, but I'm going to back a couple of things up. Some of you know that we take a team to Mexico. This will be our... I think this will be our third year with our church here, and uh, this will be my seventeenth year working with the same church and orphanage. I've been doing it since two thousand one, when I was young and foolish and didn't know what I was doing. Now I'm old and foolish, and I do it anyway. But uh, it's been an incredible experience, and um, I've tried to describe it to you. I've invited you to go; you're all welcome to go with me. We go down there, and we will do a day camp for the or. Kids from the orphanage, but also the kids from the community are invited. We do um, some work projects at the church and sometimes at the orphanage. We've planted trees. We've planted flowers. We've painted. We've installed electrical. We've done a lot of cleaning, picking up of trash. um, Worked. There's a, a park across the street. We've painted benches there. We've planted flowers there. We've done different things, different places, just to show a physical sign that we love this community and we're engaged in this community and um, when i moved from san diego to iowa there was four years and in that four years i only went down there one time and i didn't take a team but i went down there one time and two years ago when we were down there um i was sitting talking with the pastor the last night on friday night i said well it's been seven years since i brought a team I said, did you have any other teams come down? Because they were associated with another missions organization. And he said, no. And his wife said, tell him why. I said, why didn't you have any other teams come down? I was like, were we that bad? Was it, was it that difficult for you to deal with us? And he said, no, I knew you'd be back. And he looked at him, and then he said, you're back. And I was like, yes. Yes, I'm back. They don't need us, which may sound callous, but it's my favorite thing about it. They don't need us, they want us. They want us because we have a relationship with them. Any group of Americans could go down, give them some money for their orphanage, um, and do a couple of things like that, you know, show up and do a week's worth of work. He wants people that want to have a relationship with them. He wants to bring people in his church out to dinner with us at night. He wants to, because he wants them to know us. He wants them to understand we love them. We're not just here, but we genuinely love them. So thank you to those of you who have helped support this over the years. Um, We've got a lot of great projects on deck this year. We're going to install some new LED lighting uh, because it's more cost-effective. So we're going to install some LED lighting. We're going to uh, paint a fence. We're going to put in some new fruit trees at the orphanage. We're hoping to buy them... uh, a washing machine. To they uh, have one, but they have between ten and twenty kids, and they need a they need another washing machine. They rent theirs currently. So we're going to do some different things like that. We uh, have some things that we're going to purchase for the church. We're going to do other projects during the afternoons each day. We'll do a, a day camp for two to three hours with the kids, and like I said, in the orphanage and in the community, we'll have anywhere from like four to forty, and you don't know. One day you have four, the next day you have 40, the next day you have 11. And I'm always like, what do we do to grow? What would you guys say to them yesterday? Um, no, but that's just the way it works. And we will just love the kids that are there, and we will serve, and it will be hot, and it will be wonderful. So I would encourage you, if you physically are able to, and it is a hard week physically, but if you're able to, come and join us. We hope to do it again next year because I believe in the value of it. So if the team, all the team, could come up um, right now, that would be great. Somebody's got to walk first, so somebody walk. Okay, good. Grab the... Can you hand the hand to David? And where's Nick? Nick. There he is. All right, David, Nicholas. I've asked two people that went before to share for from, from one to three minutes. Did you grab the handheld from James? Thank you. Um, they're going to share from... One to three minutes. If they go over three, I'll stop them on
1: on
0: why this was an impacting trip or something that it meant in their life. So go ahead.
1: Hello, I'm Nicholas. Um, Last year I went on the Mexico mission. It was actually my first mission trip ever. Um, Yeah, overall it was just a really fun and great experience. Um, I felt like I really got to go down there and see the strong faith that they had. Um, They brought us to this camp, and it was just... We attended their church services, and it was just really great to see how they worshiped, and um, it was just really inspiring, and I felt I got to grow a lot in my confidence to uh, reach out to different people and uh, build relationships with them. And um, yeah, that's about it. Okay, good. (laughs) Go ahead. All right. So this is Nicholas.
0: He's a college student at the University of Washington. Go Huskies. Um, This is David. David, tell us something about yourself, and then
1: yeah my name is David. I actually had the opportunity to visit uh, the church down in Mexicali from two thousand and two to two thousand and six, so right there at the beginning, I think a year after Jeff started going there and uh, w- when you go there for that amount of time or for seventeen years it, it's no longer a missions trip it's it's a visit to old friends, and what happens is you start to develop a heart of compassion, not because we're helping someone who's less fortunate or we're saving anybody but what actually starts to happen is you start to develop a heart of servitude and that really spills out coming back into your everyday life i can't tell you the friendships and funny stories that you have with the team that you go with um i went on more mexico trips i went to ukraine because of that afterwards and a few other mexico trips with other churches um, but all with around with the same people and they helped me become a stronger person in my leadership skills, um, because you can't retreat to your normal comforts, and uh, I really got pushed to the test, but at the same time, um, you're receiving just as much as you're giving, so.
0: Thanks, David. All right, I'm gonna tell you who everybody is, and I'll do it, I'll do it just to keep it quick. Abby? What? Oh, raise your hand if it's your first time. We'll do this all at once. Raise your hand if it's your first time. High enough that people can see them. All right. So about half the team. The other half, raise your hand if you've been there before. These are the true troopers. I'm glad the first timers go. It's the second time. That's the dedication. All right. Abby McKenna. Lola. Mariah. I got to look (laughs) sometimes. I don't know them all by the back of their heads. Kendra. Marissa. Mia. Nicole. Evan, Dago, Ty, Cole, Dylan, Isaiah, Joe, James, Michaela, Christine, Anna. There's a couple of people that aren't able to. Go ahead and clap for them. There we go. Clap, baby. There's a couple more people that weren't able to be here today. We have a total of 23 people going this year. Um, we, in case you don't know, we stay. The average temperature literally is about... The average temperature is 112 degrees. Last year, our hottest day was 116. Our nicest day was, I think, about 98. And the weird part is, you walk out in the morning after 116, and it's only like 98, and you're going, that's a little cool today, isn't it? It doesn't take long. The first three days, we feel like we're melting. After that, we start to feel like, oh, I can make this. But... um, We sleep in Sunday school rooms that have a concrete floor, so we have little sleeping pads, and um, there's 11 or 12 people per room, so you are literally shoulder to shoulder with people, whether you like them or not. And uh, you have to learn to live with people touching your stuff and getting in your space And I I try to warn them, one of the things I tell them, the two main things are, number one, you got to be flexible because things change constantly. And number two, there are always kids around. And when I say there are always kids around, the moment they find out we're there, there are always kids around. You walk out of your room and there's like three of them standing there and you're like, hello, I'm going to go have some breakfast. But they're just always there. And so you just have to learn to adapt to that. Well, we're going to pray for this team, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity. We'll receive an offering. Uh, we won't pass it. They'll just have a, um, something in the back if you want to contribute to the team. This is our opportunity for us to support what these people are doing. And I, I always want to say kids, but as you can see, there are several adults. who have college-age and post-college-age adults as well. You can be a part of this. And I, I'm not kidding, I, I, when I say it's hard, it's a hard week. It's an emotional week, but it's a life-changing week. And so I want to invite you to think about it and be a part of our trip the next time we do it. Well, let's go ahead and pray for the team. Father God, I thank you for those willing to go. God, I thank you for those who have gone before and built relationships and desire to go back. I thank you, Father God, for those who are brave enough that they're willing to go for the first time. God, for those who are stepping out of their comfort zone, who are struggling with fear or anxiety or intimidation, Lord, I pray that they would know that you are with them. When they feel overwhelmed, that they would be excited knowing that this is part of your plan and path for their personal development. God, for each member of this congregation that has supported us in the past or currently, Lord, I thank you for their contribution. I thank you for their continual commitment to a group of people in Mexico that they've never met, to a group of orphans who will never maybe even know what it's like to have a family, but because they're willing to give and we're willing to go, they can know that they're loved. They can feel loved and valued and like that they matter. Father God, we know that you look down and it's not that that you have favorites, but Father God, we do know that you're pleased when we're willing to say yes to the opportunity. God, open doors for us to to really connect and impact with this community. And I thank you and praise you again for everybody willing to go and that you would give us a safe journey down there, a safe journey back, that we'd have no car or vehicle issues or complications, that you would protect us while we're there. And Father God, that we represent you well in all we do in your name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat, guys. Again, there'll be, um, if you want to contribute, there'll be an offering plate at the back let me tell you one final thing about why I love this church. This is a church in Mexico. And they, they are what is considered middle-class Mexico. I've taken the kids to see a little more poverty sometimes. But this is middle-class. They have jobs. They work at factories. They make auto parts that you may buy if you own a Toyota. They make Bosch spark plugs. They have a metal plating factory, a cardboard box factory, That recycles cardboard. These are the jobs they have. They are hard workers, and yet they have these two bins that sit on the front of their stage, and every week they collect food for the poor. And every year when we go down, the pastor says, Will you go with us to feed the poor? And I always think the same thing You are the poor. You don't understand it. You're poor. Someone should tell you that. I've been in your houses. I've walked in in your neighborhood and but every year they're oh let's go down and feed the poor. And so we buy eight loaves of bread and a few pounds of ham and we make a ham sandwich with some jalapeno peppers on it and we make watered down Kool-Aid even though I beg them to buy a few more packets every time they're like oh no 5 gallons 3 packets should do it. And we serve watered-down Kool-Aid and apples or oranges and sandwiches to the poor. And it's so uncomfortable, and it's so just this intense moment because these people are lining up and it's just it's chaotic, and we have these tables, and that's our only feeling of defense from anything that's going to happen. And yet they do it. And it breaks my heart that I don't see the poor the way they do. Because they go down and we'll play some music and the pastor will tell people that God loves them and God has a plan for them and come and get some food. And then he'll pray and then we'll pass out some Spanish literature, some tracts, and just talk to them. And he's like, a couple years ago he's like, We didn't use all our sandwiches. I was like, I know, thank goodness, because that meant we got done quicker. He's like, let's go find some more poor people. And we drove around the city to where there were people begging, and we'd get out, and we'd go, and we'd give them a sandwich, and we'd talk to them. And I know about 150 words in Spanish and cannot actually construct sentences. And we stand there, and they're talking, and he'll ask me to pray for people. And never in my life have I felt more unworthy to pray for someone than when I'm standing next to this guy who does this all the time in a language I can't speak to a people I don't know. And I feel like God's reminding me, you're not worthy, you're chosen. Don't neglect that call. None of us are worthy. We're all called and given the opportunity. So let's go and let's love people well this week. Again, no pressure, but if you want to support the team, there'll be some people at the back with some offering plates. Um, If you want to make out a check just on the memo line, just put Mexico Mission, and it'll get to the right place. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, graduation Sunday and Father's Day.